0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This is uh, the next to the last, or third to the last, I should say, uh, Sunday of Epiphany. We have two more Sundays in the Epiphany season, and then we will uh, be beginning Lent. And this is the time of the season when we have kind of one eye towards the next season, and another eye on the season that we're in. It's important that we be thinking a little bit about Lent, that we be talking about it, uh, because when we come to Ash Wednesday, we want to be ready for that spiritual discipline that we're going to engage in. We want to be ready for the season of Lent so that it can be uh, profitable for us. So we want to be thinking and kind of preparing for that time to come, while at the same time we are continuing in this season of Epiphany and thinking about and meditating upon God revealing himself to us. So we've talked and meditated on God revealing himself to the Gentiles, to him revealing himself to the people of Judah, that he's uh, revealed himself to all of creation. We've talked about what it means when he reveals himself to us individually and as a people and how we are called to repent. When God manifests himself and shows himself to us, we are called to to repent and to have a change of life. And uh, there is no better example, I think, in the scripture than King Josiah here, and Second Kings to what that means and what that looks like. If you remember, King Josiah is uh, living right at the end of this period of the kings before the the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. He's living a generation or two before, about six twenty six hundred B.C. and um, he is surrounded by enemies. The uh, Egyptians from the south are coming up. The Assyrians from the north have already taken the northern kingdom of Israel. They've already reclaimed it and renamed it Samaria, which is where we get the Samaritans at the time of Jesus. The Babylonians are gathering their strength from the east and moving, and they're being um, kind of caught in this pincer grasp and surrounded. In the city of Jerusalem and in the kingdom of Judah, a great darkness has descended upon them, a darkness of sin uh, and neglect of their spiritual discipline. They've neglected their spiritual discipline in the keeping of the worship at the temple. They have uh, quit the reading of scripture and they have fallen away from the ways of God. And uh, hopefully we can all relate to what that's like. We can relate to neglecting our own spiritual discipline. We can relate to neglecting the reading of Scripture insofar as we know what that means, what happens in our lives when that happens. Uh, what happens is that we stop having the mind of God, we stop seeing the world as God sees it, and we start to see the world as something that maybe isn't uh, so bad as far as the sin of paganism and the uh, loss of morality and of, of discipline, and we start to see the, the cult and idol worship of celebrity, of power, of fame, and money uh, to be maybe not quite so bad, or maybe some new wonderful innovation. And that's where the people of Judah had descended to. The surrounding pagan practices to them stopped seeming so bad. They stopped seeming so abhorrent to them. And they started to more and more look like the people groups surrounding them. And enter into this time period, this age of darkness, King Josiah, who ascends the throne at this very young age of eight, And he kind of comes in with this childlike innocence that Christ describes. He walks in and he goes into the city of Jerusalem and he sees the great temple. And he says, well, what about this temple? What about this worship? Shouldn't we be about this? And he sends in his ministers and they go into the temple and they begin to do a kind of spring cleaning. They open the doors and they start going through the cabinets and drawers and they find the money in the treasury that had been assigned for the workmen to uh, maintain the temple and to make sure that its worship was uh, sufficient. And and in this I think we see a very practical, if not spiritual, uh, analogy for us that I think is very important. Because sometimes... Um, In the church, when we talk about maintaining buildings or we talk about maintaining our Bibles and our chairs and the things that we need for for the altar, for the worship of the Lord, sometimes we think, oh, we we should be about something more about than that. Uh, But we see in this that that practical reality of making sure that things are ready for the worship of the Lord is essentially important. Because when they do that and they start to, uh, to make sure that worship is ready, they discover the scriptures and the reading of them. And they take the scriptures to the king and they read them before the king. And the king's response is the exact kind of response that Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes. King Josiah says, Oh no! Oh no! This is what we have supposed to have been doing. We were supposed to be living according to God's law and we have not. And his response is to weep and to tear his clothes. And this is exactly what we read last week in the first three portions, the first three statements of the Beatitudes. You remember that those are uh, the three ingredients of humility. You remember that poverty of spirit, right? To say, oh no, I don't have what I need, like King Josiah has done. I need to go and find what I need in the Lord. Uh, To uh, be meek, to not defend ourselves, right? King Josiah doesn't say, well, that wasn't me. That was somebody that came before me or some other person. There's no defense to be made. He is meek. And to mourn, to weep, and this is exactly what Josiah does. He he cries before the Lord and he rends his clothes. Um, he is exemplifying for us these three attitudes uh, that Jesus introduces for us in Matthew chapter 5 uh, in these, these first three attitudes of humility. And then you remember that once we have that attitude of humility, then we're <laughs> able to go and discern the righteousness of God, just as Josiah sends to find the prophetess, right, to say how to live in righteousness, we now have this hunger or thirst, right? Josiah says, go and find someone who can tell me how to live. That's a hungering and a thirsting, a desire for the ways of God. You remember that um, after that comes mercy and it comes peacemaking. And then finally, purity of heart. And purity of heart is to will one thing, to will the will of God, to discern the mind of God, <laughs> And when we do that, when we discern His will, we're able to discern what it means to live in righteousness and goodness. Indeed, we can't live in goodness or righteousness without the mind of God. There is no way to live in righteousness without it. And once we have that, then we become like these essential elements that Jesus describes following the Beatitudes in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount that we call the similitudes. The similitudes, these are similes. We are supposed to be like or as salt and light. When we live according to the mind of God, when we perceive his goodness and righteousness, we become like these essential elements. We don't go and and, and make up salt. We don't go and put together the ingredients of light. These are things in the world that are as they are, that are either what they are or not. We either have light or we don't. We either have salt or we don't. And so we are supposed to be these essential elements of goodness and righteousness. There is no substitute for it. There is no substitute. And once we have that salt and we have that light, uh, then we don't just use it sometimes in some places. We don't just display it sometimes in some places. In the modern uh, world, we have fallen into this... Um, ridiculousness of this Kantian dualism, right? Immanuel Kant described the, the public and the private life, that I can be a Christian in public, but not in private or vice versa, and that I can profess my faith in the privacy of my home, but not in my um, public work. And this is exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying. He is saying that we are to display His righteousness, His goodness, so that His name will be glorified everywhere we go at all times. There is not a time in and out of season for displaying the righteousness of God, to bring glory to His name. This is who we are, and there is no substitute for it. And that when we do that, when we uh, display His righteousness and His goodness, then we are living in His kingdom. We are coming into His way of living. Sometimes baptism and coming into the Christian life is talked about, about as um, inviting Christ into our lives, right? You hear people say, invite Christ into your life. And this really, when we think about it, is, is not what the scriptures say at all. We're being invited into his life. We're being invited into his kingdom, into his way of living. We are taking on his story. And to do that, To live in his life, in his story, we have to enter into the simplicity of his kingdom as described by St. Paul. St. Paul here is telling the Corinthians that he is familiar with the rhetoric of the ancient world. He is familiar with the rhetoric of the Greek philosophers. He could have gone in and he could have used the wisdom and the rhetoric and the, the teaching, and the, the tools of the world around him. He could have applied all those, and indeed, when we read Paul's letters, we know certainly he could have. He was a master of, of these forms, and he could have uh, used a, a kind of a, a subtlety, and he could have used a kind of a technique and wisdom to uh, display the goodness and righteousness of God, and sometimes we get into that ourselves, right? We want to find just the right turn of phrase, and just the right argument and just the right statement and St Paul says i rejected all of that for the power of god he rejected all of that for the power of god paul spoke clearly and succinctly of the power of god and he displayed it he says because we know that when he came into a city that uh, the miraculous was performed that people were healed and their lives were transformed that they saw christ that they came to know him that they heard his voice that they became one with God, that they received the Holy Spirit and that their lives were transformed. That's power that he's talking about. And there's no, again, substitute for it. There is no substitute for the Spirit of God and for his mind. There is no substitute for having the mind of Christ. But it's a scary thing. Because again, it means that we're not inviting him into our life. It means that we're not being ourselves and we're not discovering ourselves in our own attitude, in our own way, but we're submitting ourselves, submitting ourselves in complete humility to Christ and to his mind and to his way. And thereby we become transformed. This image of spring cleaning of the temple is an image of the Christian life. When we neglect the worship of God, when we neglect his word, when we neglect our attention to him, we become dull and dark and we lose our way. And so we have to have a life and a mind that is organized according to the ways of worship and of God. The ways of worship since the time of ancient Israel to now have not changed. And our bedside table should start with the book of common prayer and morning and evening prayers, Because if we don't regularly confess our sins, if we don't regularly say the Lord's prayer, if we don't regularly attend to the reading of Psalms, we will be as disordered and dark as the people of ancient Israel were when they neglected their worship. There's no substitute. And well-ordered worship leads to a well-ordered mind. When we attend to well-ordered worship of God in regular practice, our minds and our hearts become well-ordered and they become clear and clean and organized according to God's will. And we cannot neglect the daily reading of Scripture. Because if we are to hear the mind of God, if we are to hear His voice, if we are to perceive His will, we have to know His word, we have to know His will, We have to know those words that are spoken so that when we hear that still, quiet voice, we recognize it from our daily discipline of the reading of His Scripture. There is no substitute. And the reason that we neglect it is because we're not willing to mourn and weep over our sins. But if we don't do that, we will not receive His Spirit, His mind, His truth. His kingdom, His mercy, His love, His beauty, His majesty, His transforming power and grace in our lives. There is no substitute.